This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome in, ladies and gentlemen, to another edition of the Pony Stampede podcast. Thanks for listening to this edition as it is Friday, a day before SMU is set to kick off with Temple 230 Central inside Ford Stadium. We've got our previews going up on Pony Stampede shortly, so really don't want to spend too much time on Temple. I feel like SMU is going to come out and win this one. Uh, They're favored right now by, I believe the line was eight and a half last time I looked. So SMU getting a lot of love from Vegas here at home and, and certainly against a Temple team that is coming off an impressive win against Memphis last Saturday. And, and was able to take care of business, force a lot of turnovers. They play really hard. They're kind of similar to Tulsa, except they run more of a different defensive scheme that might match up a little bit better for SMU. But they are athletic. They do play really hard. And uh, they're well coached by Rod Carey, who who has a lot of familiarity with with SMU and, and, and Kevin Kane having hired him as his defensive coordinator over at Northern Illinois, he now is the Temple head coach, and of course Kevin Kane, defense coordinator at SMU. So a lot of familiarity there. Brett Dearson, also SMU's former defensive line coach, on staff at Temple, and it, it might have a little bit of insight. But Sonny Dyke said this week that they're they're gonna have uh, switched up a lot of their their calls and kind of their just the way they they operate defensively in terms of their calls for this game because of that. Um, and and look. For SMU, I feel like the bye week was perfectly timed. I've said that multiple times over the last week, but I do feel like it's it's a big deal that they had the bye when they did. They're able to lock in and, and focus on a really difficult opponent, and, and Temple is just that. They've they've got the athletes that they're kind of similar to USF, except they play they play hard and and they can you know they're buying into what Rod Carey is selling. So um, I feel like for SMU. They're going to have their hands full a little bit, but I do feel like at the end of the day, SMU is going to be able to take care of business. They are really talented. They're they're healthy with Reggie Roberson expected back uh, this week, and then Xavier Jones and Cayman Freeman a little bit of time to to rest their bodies and and come back fresh. So I like SMU to to be able to control the clock and and make some throws down the field with 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 uh, Roberson and and Prochet for for uh Shane Bouchelle but I also think Kylan Granson is due for a little bit of a of a pick-me-up as far as what he can contribute uh he's been kind of down a little bit but uh we all know kind of the matchup problems that he creates and so I, I'm going to pick him as kind of a x factor in this week's game with a bunch of athletes out there I feel like he can affect a lot of matchups and kind of change things for for SMU offensively so with that, I wanted to dive into some subscriber questions, but before I do, I do want to tell you guys that we have a great guest on the line uh, on the other side of the break. Nick Russell, former SMU guard, going to join the podcast later on, so definitely check that out, and I uh, hope you guys enjoy that interview. Catching up with Nick was 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 great, but look, diving into the podcast, uh, one of the first questions was, will SMU be 8-0, uh, so kind of going off of that um, 
I do feel like SMU is going to be able to take care of business against Houston. That's one game I, I feel fairly confident about heading into next week. Um, and even if even if SMU were to lose to Temple, I feel like that that game is one that SMU is going to be able to take care of business in. I just think the two programs are kind of at different points this season, and and SMU should be able to capitalize on that and and have a strong game down down in Houston. So uh, I I like SMU to win uh, both this week and next week. Uh, so I'm going to go with yes. They're going to be eight zero on Friday, October twenty fifth. One thing that. Um, has been talked about, uh, and I'll talk about it before uh, I get to kind of a look at the future, but I'm asked Kiki Burns, looking like he'll redshirt, do I think the staff could bulk him up and make him into a pass-catching tight end like Granson? He's already 210, could easily get into 230, 235 range by the time he's ready to contribute. I'm going to go with no. I, I feel like I don't think that's where they'd end up moving him. I could see Kiki Burns being moved over to maybe a defensive side of the ball or or something like that before they move him over to tight end. But he's certainly got a ton of talent and and blocks, you know, like it was mentioned in our subscriber Q&A thread, uh, blocks really well for for a big wide receiver especially. And so he could, but I, I, I don't see him playing necessarily with his hand in the dirt, which is what Kylan Granson can do. I mean, Kylan Granson's a big guy if you've ever seen him. Uh, he can block. He can do all those things. So, um, Kiki Burns, I do think he ends up redshirting, but uh, I don't think he ends up moving to tight end. Uh, SMU looking ahead um, to the future. There is uh, uh, an uh, sorry. Last question on on uh, the thread, kind of about the now and about the current team. Why do I think SMU has struggled so much to find a decent punter? I mean, it's hard. It, it is. I mean, specialists, there's there's really no explanation for it. I, I've seen specialists get recruited and be highly thought of or be the number one kicker in the state or do this or do that and, you know, or be perfect in their high school career. And then they go to college and they just can't handle it. And I don't know if it's I don't know what it is, because not only do these guys practice kicking off the off the tee or without the tee in high school, uh, they do video. They they you know show it. Some guys in high school kick without the tee, so it it is just it's kind of mind boggling. I mean SMU's. I'll give you an example. SMU's kicking prospect Carson Garrett when they got him out of uh, the Dallas area, he was supposed to be. I mean he was supposed to step right in and handle kickoffs. I mean he was booting him out of the end zone, doing all this, and ultimately he didn't want to play football at the next level, and he just totally, he's not on the team anymore. <laughs> so. Um, that's just called bad luck. And as far as punting goes, I mean, punting is just kind of brutal. I mean, I think Sackville has kind of improved over the last couple of years, but he's he's out for the year. So that's obviously a blow. You lose a senior punter who's at least been there. He could have been serviceable. Um, but I kind of like where what they're doing with Trevor Denbo. I mean, he's doing the rugby-style kick. It seems to be working. There's really minimal returns uh, now that they've gotten it straightened out since the TCU game. So I think that's a positive, and and look, punting the ball, it's kind of all about flipping the field and just not letting anything catastrophic catastrophic happen, and and that's what SMU's kind of done lately. Uh, looking ahead, uh, an interesting question about the team, and and two kind of two parts. Um, one, kind of the future. Some people have told me that next year's team will be better, and so the question is, is is 
is there a general general consensus that SMU could be even better next year? Uh, do a couple things. Robertson staying, more coming back, strong post-entry have to happen in order for that to be the case. I think SMU has a really good chance to be better than that, than they are this year, which is kind of scary. I think anytime you bring back a senior quarterback, I mean, look at LSU. They, they brought back Joe Burrow, and obviously they, they tweaked their offensive scheme, but they are having a, a ridiculous year offensively. And so I think the key will be running back. Can TJ McDaniel and Ulysses Bentley take the next step without Xavier Jones and Cayman Freeman there? That'll be the key. And then can... Um, can Richard Moore bounce back? That's that's key, I think. I think Robertson's going to end up staying, I think. We'll see. I mean, he keep you know he keeps producing the way he is. He'll have a tough time staying. But I, I think, as James Prochet has, has shown, even as successful as James was, is, was last year and is this year, I mean, you can help your draft stock staying for your senior year as a receiver. So we'll see what Robertson does. Um as kind of, the, you know, potentially staying and being the lead guy next year. But um, I feel like they'll they'll continue to improve on the offensive line. I feel like they'll, um, while they'll replace a lot in the middle of that defense, they'll have Harrison Loveless back, Terrence Newman, um, Elijah Chapman get in the mix. So they'll have a lot of guys in the middle of that defense that, um, along with whatever they sign out of the junior college ranks, that they can kind of rely on there to kind of fix fix those holes. And then they need somebody like Jimmy Phillips to step up in place of Patrick Nelson. So um, I do feel like they can be better. And this kind of ties into another question, which was uh, how how many spots is, is SMU holding in the um, in the like transfer portal? So um, how, how are they kind of handling that? So they view everything as like a roster spot. So they don't hold spots for high school, hold spots for JUCO, hold spots for transfers. They view it as, okay, can we go get somebody out of the high school ranks that we feel like can really help us? Is the answer yes? Great. Let's go get them. Let's try to go get them. If we can't go get them, let's go to JUCO. Let's go to the transfer portal and fill that roster spot in terms of numbers. So if they feel like they need to have four running backs on the roster, they got to figure out a way to get four running backs on the roster. It's the same thing that they went out and did. And, and that's why they gave Brandon Stevens a look. That's why they gave, um, you know, the two safeties, Chevin Callaway and Cameron Jones looks, I mean, they needed depth at safety. So that, uh, is kind of how it goes. And, and so that's how they approach it. They approach things by roster spots rather than the actual, you know, recruiting of certain portal guys, um, or a certain number. So I hope that helps your question. As far as the uh, targets list. I try to do a good job of giving it a glance over once a week. If I feel like there's a guy that that they've really, you know, elevated to a high, high choice or, or top target, uh, spot. Um, I, I try to update that. And so for those who don't know what I'm talking about, there's a prospects tab on their football recruiting on our site, and you can get a look at kind of who the top guys are, who the top targets. And so for high choice, top target, those guys they really really want interested means they're they're in there they're you know I wouldn't say they're a top choice but they they definitely would are recruiting him and and kind of looking at him scout look is exactly that they're you know they've got their eye on him they're not really they're recruiting him but they're not really recruiting him and that can go for a lot of 
a lot of different scenarios. I can go for guys without offers. I can go with uh, guys they've had visit multiple times, but kind of our backup plan. And it can even go for highly, you know, thought of guys that they might just not be in on, but are kind of keeping their tabs on and seeing if maybe they can get involved late like they have with Shabazz Dotson, Travion Johnson, Danielson EK, guys like that. So that's how scout look. And then non not applicable, like that's guys that I don't see them having a chance at. They're not really recruiting. Um, I just totally take those guys basically off kind of the board. So that's how that, that part of the site's, site works. Um, looking ahead as well, as some on the board have said multiple times since he was hired, Cal is still paying most, if not all, of Sonny's salary. Is this true? And if so, any ideas to when they stop paying him and SMU has to pick up the full tab? Will the funds be there to keep Sonny to a point when somebody makes a better offer? Any idea of what kind of buyout he has in his contract? So I'll tell you guys this. I I'll I don't know when a I don't know the setup of of Sonny Dykes' buyout. But what I do tell you is, what I can tell you is he is owed almost $6 million. Um, and I'm sure that's spread out over a certain point uh, of time. So I don't know when that ends. But what Sonny, what Sonny said, uh, or he didn't say, but he, I do know this, is that he's not being paid nearly what SMU normally pays its head coach because Sonny is making Cal pay him, which I think is a smart power move or whatever to do because they were able to go out and hire more top-notch assistants. Now, as far as SMU and, and how it's going with, with Sonny Dykes' contract, they're going to pay him. The, the When his contract's up, there's going to be an extension. It's probably going to be above of what the traditional, you know, 2 million, you know, 20 guys contract is. Um, for SMU and they showed that when they offered it to Chad I mean they offered him 3.5 so I don't really know what why people question and and why people question the whole will their funds be there to pay him I mean yes like they showed that with even Chad Morris who they were giving him the option to stay and have a bigger bot you know contract and all that and you know it was kind of a clash at that point between the two sides even but they were even ready to pay him so yes SMU will pay him I don't think it really matters what Sonny Dykes's buyout is I, I've said this I, I believe this I don't think he wants to be anywhere else um, I'll, I'll be honest I mean he's not he's not young by any means but I I believe this and I've talked to people around him <clears throat> that that they feel like he, this is it for him. And not like the, okay, I'm just going to ride off into the sunset and retire and chill, but I want to win here, win big, and do this for a long time and walk my kids to school and have them go to Highland Park. And, you know, Kate Dykes loves loves the area. I mean, the, the, I, I'm not trying to poo-poo the potential of Sonny Dykes walking out the door one day for a bigger job, but right now where things stand it's not even like it's not even being discussed it's not even it's not even a thing so i'm sure his buyout is a traditional kind of smu coach style buyout they usually do whatever is remaining on the contract in the initial contract so i don't know what um what his buyout is but i'm really i'll be honest guys 
no one is really worried about Sonny walking out of the door. I'll be honest with you. Uh, and, and then follow-up question from somebody on our board. Will the funds be there to keep getting top-notch assistance when the current ones get poached? Yeah, so I yes, I'm going to go with yes, of course. I think there's also a point where, look, there are assistants on this staff like that have significant ties to Sonny. So there's guys like David Grew, um, especially Randall Joyner, you know, got his, his first assistant job from Sonny. Same with Rashad Samples. Rashad Samples will be a hot commodity. Kevin Kane, Rhett Lashley, of course, the two coordinators will be hot commodities. But they've those two coordinators have been approached for big time Power Five jobs over the last two over the last off season. Both turned them down to stay. I mean, Kevin Kane was offered over a million dollars to go to Oregon. Um, Rhett Lashley was offered a, a spot to be the offensive coordinator at Kansas. So I, I'm uh, there. Yes, there's commitment there. And the thing is, guys, is as SMU has shown, they're they're not afraid. Uh, like with Chad Morris's contract to add more money into the mix. And with SMU winning the way it is right now and with Sonny at the helm, you know, being who he is and the type of guy, yes, they're going to figure out a way to get the money there. I mean, donations are up for the football program. Money is coming in. But also I went, I think one thing Sonny does a really good job of is understanding that I don't like Sonny Dykes could take a big contract for his next contract. But I do think he's going to allocate more money to his assistants uh, in the end because he knows that's more important. He knows giving Kaz Kazadi more money is, is critical. He knows getting him a better weight room is, is critical. So I feel like there are things with Sonny that some people maybe just don't kind of realize how he operates. Um, and so, I, I, yes, there will be a good size assistant pool here Um I don't think they're ever going to pay an offense coordinator a million dollars, though. So, I mean, I just don't. Uh, just if, if a guy, you know, wants that type of money to live in Highland Park and coach at SMU, it's, it's, he's probably just kind of looking for a cash grab. So um, whether it's deserved or not. So anyway, um, that's kind of it on some of these uh, future questions for SMU. One last one on the uh, kind of graduation success rate. SMU is 103 out of 130 in FBS. Um, and do, do I think this is a concern for SMU? Their, their graduation success rate is 72%, 63% federal graduation rate for the players. Look, here's here's the deal with this. It goes That goes back to 2012. So if you think about that, that goes back to all the mess with Larry Brown. Um, and I don't think I'm trying to see where this is for yeah it's not it doesn't look like it's it's a sports specific thing so remember remember basketball drug drug this down in a big way SMU also had two coaching changes during that time on the football side of things um but right now I mean the facts are is that the they have the highest team GPA for both basketball and football in a long time those are kind of two your two problem child sports for the most part uh traditionally in terms of graduating players um, and both are on the right track so I don't think they're really worried with the current state of graduating players around SMU but that graduation graduation success rate goes all the way back to 2012 so think about all the transfers two coaching staffs turning over rosters it's just kind of a mess so I don't think they're really concerned about it I feel like SMU does a pretty good job graduating players under normal circumstances
Finally, uh, I, I mentioned on the podcast last week that, you know, I could see SMU kind of playing a bigger lineup at times with, with guys like um, Jassy, Shagwa, Hunt, Mike, and, and uh, Kendrick Davis out there. If Davis is eligible, do I think this is a type of lineup that is something SMU could run for longer stretches? I don't think so. I, I think it's more of a spot thing, uh, matchup problem creator, all of that. I mean, that would, we'll see. I, I was just kind of riffing on that more than anything, but it can happen, and I think it'd be a good lineup. Um, and then what five players do I think will see the most time together on the floor at once, pre-Jassy and post-Jassy? I think pre-Jassy, it'll be Shagwa, Mike, Hunt, Kendrick Davis, if eligible, and then the other one would be Tyson Jolly. I'd go with Tyson Jolly for sure. Um, and then post-Jassy, I would go with Shagwa, Jassy, Mike, probably Jolly and, and Davis. I mean, Jolly's a, Jolly's a beast now. He's going to start, and, and he's a big-time player, really tough, kind of like a shorter Sterling Brown. So I really like Jolly there, and um, maybe Mike, uh, maybe Farhan Hunt emerges and overtakes Mike or something like that, but that's kind of how I see it playing out. With that, guys, we've talked enough. Uh, it is time to take a quick break from the podcast. We will throw it right to Nick Russell, uh, and that'll be it for the Pony Stampede podcast. Hope you guys enjoy the uh, enjoy the interview, the audio. We had to catch up over the phone. He's over in Sweden, so hope you guys bear with it, but uh, it was a great interview, so hope you guys enjoy it. Introducing the Two-Way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the Two-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the Two-Way for yourself at newbalance.com. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome back to the Pony Stampede podcast. Thanks for listening. Got a very special guest with me on the line. All the way from Sweden, former SMU guard, Nick Russell from Mayho, Sweden, currently playing with Mayho over there. Thanks for taking the time out of a, out of a busy, busy season for you to, to catch up with us. Oh, yeah. It's a pleasure, a pleasure to be with you and, and getting to chat a little bit. Yeah, it took us a little bit of time, but but you've been busy, so catch us up with with what what's going on right now. How's your season going, and and, and just kind of how's your team looking? Sure. Uh, right now we are. I guess we have a game tomorrow, so that'll be the fifth game of the season. Uh, right now we are, I believe, uh, uh, one and three. I think uh, with with some close losses there. Uh, I'm coming off of an ankle injury, so I didn't play last game. So. Tomorrow will be uh, a game coming, my comeback game, I guess. And uh, it's a game at home. So it's a game that we really want to win and we need to win uh, to really, you know, keep us uh, above our, above water, I should say, 
uh, in the league right now that's, that's seeming to be pretty tough early on. Awesome. Now, you were you were in Dallas over the summer training. You trained with Ben Moore a little bit. Um, what was the process for you like getting to where you are over in Sweden right now? And what was it like to work with, with Ben Moore over the summer in Dallas? Yeah, so uh, working with Ben was great. I mean, that was my first time seeing Ben in, in, in a few years uh, because I've been, you know, uh, in Europe for so many years now. I've been in Europe, you know, back and forth, only having to spend a few months in the States. Uh, so seeing Ben again was great. Being at SMU again was great because in the years, uh, in the years in the past, I haven't really been around there a lot. So this year to be there from May to August, working out with uh, with Yogi, uh, working out with Sean Stout, uh, seeing everybody, seeing a new group of guys they got in there, uh, it was great, and it really energized me for this year uh, to get ready and come come here and compete in Europe. Now, um, you, you said you got to see a, a little bit of the guys. I mean, did you watch any of their workouts? I know before we before we jumped on, you said you didn't you, – you practiced with them once last season, but what have you what have you kind of seen from the makeup of, of the guys over the summer? I did. I mean, I, so I, I was there – because I was there so much, I mean, I met everybody from top to bottom. So I got to see them uh, do a lot of individuals. Um, and a few actual team workouts, and I mean they look good. It looks like a strong, uh, athletic team. They are full, full depth. I mean they have a lot of bodies, a lot of guys. Uh, even talking with Coach Jank is going to be a real competitive year for them in practice, which that's what you want. You want it to be competitive in practice, uh, which will translate to the games and make the games that much easier. Uh, so I think it'll be an exciting year for those guys, and I'm honestly ready to watch and see what they can do. Yeah, you'll you'll have to stay up uh, or, or wake up early for for those for those games over there in Sweden. As right, going for here. real. <laughs> in a no, few yeah, weeks, I gotta, I'm about to be up late. No, I'm about to be up real late for those games. <laughs> well, uh, the good thing I think you might be able to rewatch them on ESPN, uh, the, the app they got going nowadays. You got that going for you. But um, yeah, looking good. back on on a real competitive group that you were a part of as you came to SMU, transferred back. You're a part of Larry Brown kind of leading the program back um, to, to, you know, relevancy. And, and obviously the with the NIT run to the championship really teed them up for the success, even more success that they were able to have. Looking back at your time, what was what was being coached by Larry Brown like? What was being a part of those teams like? I mean, it was great. You know, I credit Coach Brown and the staff for my success now in Europe. I mean, you know, I've learned – so much from him. I learned so much about myself during my time with SMU and, uh, you know, just trying to represent Dallas. You know, I'm a Dallas kid, so for me it was, uh, you know, a big deal and it was kind of exciting to to be in Dallas and make SMU a household name again. So that was that was major for me. Um, but, you know, I'm glad that, you know, the the school is still coming along. I mean, you know, kind of last year was a, a kind of a, a fall off season a little bit, but the way it looks now, they have a real opportunity to make some noise again, and uh, I'm I'm excited for that. But I'm you know I was just lucky lucky enough to really be a part of Coach Brown's era because um, when I transferred to SMU, you know, Coach I had no idea that Coach Brown was coming there. I transferred to, to play for Matt Doherty. And uh, I sat out that year, and, you know, by the grace of God, Coach Brown got that call for that next season, and the rest is history. What was um, 
you guys struggled that first year, and, and certainly as they kind of turned over the roster, it was it was interesting at times. But the next year you go to the NIT finals, and, and obviously a tough ending, but that experience, what was – um, what, what was that team like and, and to go through that experience, which was so new for so many of you guys? Yeah, I mean, that first year with Coach Brown, it, it was somewhat of a, we can say, a struggle. Uh, you know, uh, it, it wasn't his, his, I guess, you know, recruiting class. You know, those were pretty much majority uh, Matt Doherty kids and Matt Doherty's players that we had at the time. Um, but... You know, we made it work, to be honest. I mean, we made it work. I mean, for me, it was a good chance to see uh, Coach Brown's philosophy and to, to really be comfortable with him and the staff. And it was also my first year playing basketball again because I set out that year from transferring. So, I mean, right. it was really just a lot, of, a lot of newness for me, for him, for a lot of guys, honestly, uh, with that transition of coach. You know, so it was a new coach, new philosophy. So it was really uh, – a transition for everyone, but that next year uh, definitely was a turning point for us. Uh, at the time, my, that first year, you know, we had a lot of guys that were there, but they were just sitting out. So it was still a camaraderie and a, a rapport from everyone uh, because nobody was completely new. That the guys that came in, they were they had been there for two years now, but they were just sitting out. So we still had them in practice. We still had them, you know, at the games, at home games. So uh, everybody was pretty much familiar with everyone. So it kind of allowed us to get comfortable with each other for that next year, which made it a little bit easier for us to compete and uh, really make something happen. Now, uh, as as a Dallas kid, I do want to touch on this because, you know, the football team, and I don't know if you, how much you're able to watch kind of what they're doing on, on social media, but they're really kind of embracing Dallas. Uh, even more so than than SMU ever has, and when you guys were were going, you know, getting that run going, and and the teams to come after that, the the team really felt like Dallas's team. I mean, what is it like to kind of have the city kind of step up and and come behind you and feel moody and do all the things that that have kind of happened with the with the basketball program, and now we're we're seeing it more with the football program as well. You know, I think it's great. I think it's great. Now, I, you know, on Twitter, I've seen so much. Uh, the success that the football team is having. I believe they're 6-0 and now, maybe 7-0. and They're already bowl eligible. Um, and I think it's great, you know, I, because I understand that the football is what really brings the, the university together. So, you know, I mean, to have the fans ready and passionate about the school through football season and let people come and pass forward, you know, I think that's great. I think, uh, I think it's really amazing. I think it's big for Dallas as well. I mean, even with us, and the run we had in basketball, uh, you know, we had Moody. Moody was going crazy, you know what I mean? And it wasn't just the Highland Park area and uh, the north, the northern Dallas area that was coming to games. I mean, we had the whole Metroplex coming to games, and everybody felt involved, and I think that's just the most important thing. And I believe you're seeing it now with the football team, you know I mean? Everybody is talking about SMU. I mean, not just that side of Dallas is talking about it. I mean, you can even go to the south side of Dallas and people are talking about SMU. And, you know, I think that's really important. I think it's a cool thing. Awesome. Well, uh, I appreciate you checking up, uh, checking in with us and, and, and catching up. It's It's been fun. I know we'll do it again soon. And, um, look, I think they'll have uh, Moody rocking a little bit more this year uh, based on uh, – your scout report and, and them having that full squad and, and those athletic guys coming in. So 
we'll, we'll catch up more during the season and, and we'll get, definitely keep tabs with you as uh, you uh, bounce back. You got your comeback game and, and I appreciate you jumping on with us. Yes, sir. I appreciate you. Thanks for having me, man. Pony up. Hello, everyone. It's Michael Richards here. You might have seen me on CBS working on their Champions League coverage over the last couple of years. I wanted to tell you about an exciting new podcast that I've been working on. It's called The Rest is Football. It's me, alongside Gary Lineker and Alan Shearer, two absolute legends of the game. The show combines topical debate from the world of soccer along with outrageous tales from our careers. And I mean, outrageous. Just search... The rest is football wherever you get your podcasts. All the best from Big Meets.